0: in chapter number 2. I'd like to address the message to these that to be baptized tonight primarily, although certainly uh, the Word of God applies to all of us. But I'm speaking tonight on the subject, now that I'm saved, what's next? Uh, it does not end with salvation. It only begins. And uh, sometimes we... Uh, we lead a person to Christ, and, and uh, we forget about them, and then we, uh, we wonder why they don't go on and serve God. And a lot of times that's their fault as, as believers. And uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's begin reading of verse 41, if you will please. Uh, this is the results that happen on the day of Pentecost after Peter has preached. Verse 41 said, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did their meet with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for another privilege to be in your house with your people. Lord, I'd rather be here than anywhere this side of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for the desire to come and the privilege and freedom to come. Thank you that we have a place that we can gather together and a place that we're free. Thank God for America that we're still free in this land to preach the gospel and worship our God as you direct us. And our Father, I pray tonight as we've gathered for this time that the blessed Spirit of God would bless our time together, moving upon hearts tonight. If there be one unsaved, may they come to know you as Savior tonight. I pray you revive your people. Pray especially for these that have been saved and now are identifying with you in baptism. I pray, oh God, that you would help them to go on and serve you uh, and lead others to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, as I mentioned, it, uh, it all begins... With salvation. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, the Lord said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of all the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. There's the commission of the church summarized in a couple of verses. The Lord said, I want you to teach all nations. I want you to tell others about me. I want you to take the gospel and get folks saved. But it doesn't end there. I want you to get them baptized. And then I want want you to teach them to do what you've been doing. Now that's God's plan. And if you're saved tonight, then you ought to be baptized. And if you're baptized, then you ought to be doing uh, what, uh, whoever, whoever led you to Christ, what they were doing. You know, a lot of times people get saved and they don't get baptized. Or a lot of times they get saved and they get baptized, but they never take that final step. They never teach others to do what has happened to them. And it's a commission that's given to all Christians. Nobody's exempt. No way to be right with God and not do it. Just simply put, it's impossible to be right with God Amen. and not obey the commands of the Lord. Amen. Now, after we're saved, we've already mentioned here, what should we do? The first thing is to be baptized. Baptism is a commandment. In Acts ten forty eight, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So baptism is a commandment. It is a commandment after salvation. Sometimes people will make a profession and they'll get baptized. And then later they get saved. Uh, what does the first baptism, what's it about? Well, a person just got wet. Sometimes people are sprinkled when they're babies and they call that baptism. And, uh, but all, the only baptism that the Bible knows anything about or teaches is, is baptism after you're saved and by immersion? The word baptized means to uh to uh plunge or dip to emerge, it only means that, it's never meant anything else, and uh, that's a fact. It's a fact of the Bible, it's a fact of history. Uh, but anyway, uh, the Lord has uh, uh commanded us to be baptized. I was, I was reading this week and uh. Uh, do you realize that up until the 13th century the Catholic churches had big baptismal pools for immersion. Uh, So sprinkling and and pouring uh, of course uh, uh, came along after they began to teach that uh, babies had to get saved. And of course uh, it was not practiced for centuries. Now Uh, why should we be baptized? Let me say this. Baptism does not save. Uh, It is not a part of salvation. It don't make you any more saved. It does not uh, add to salvation. So why be baptized? If it's not a part of salvation, then why should we be baptized? Well, we want to be baptized, uh, number one, because the Lord commanded it. Really, we don't need any other reason. If God said to do it, we ought to do it without any question in our mind. God said, God commands us to repent. He commands us to be saved. And we're to do that. And that he commands us to be baptized. But more than that, we publicly identify with Christ. When we follow the Lord in believers' baptism, the Lord himself was baptized. Not that he needed to be saved or needed to be forgiven because he never sinned. But he, his baptism, of course, set the example uh, for you and I, and he began his, his ministry. So, uh, we publicly identify with Christ. Now, there's been times in the past when baptism meant more than it does today to many people. There's no threat. These that are baptized tonight will probably not have any threat of their life. Uh, we're not expecting that uh, because they're following the Lord in believers' baptism. But there was a time when it could have meant imprisonment, it could have meant even one's life. So it really meant something to publicly say, identify with Jesus Christ. And then we demonstrate our redemption. Though baptism is not a part of our redemption, it is a picture of our redemption. It pictures death, burial, and resurrection. That's why I say the only way you can be baptized and illustrate what baptism is supposed to illustrate is by immersion. What you're saying and what a person has demonstrated is that the old man of sin has died, has been crucified with Christ, is being buried, and is being resurrected. Now that's what, that's what, it, uh, what it illustrates. And of course if nothing's happened inside, then some water going in the water ain't going to change nothing. But it illustrates that. That's why immersion is the only mode of baptism that can illustrate death, burial, and resurrection. And then we publicly commit ourselves to walk in union of life. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When a person is baptized, they're saying, I'm a, I'm a saved. I've received Christ. He's changed my heart, and he's changed my life. And I'm going to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Baptism illustrates that. Now, in Acts chapter 8, Ethiopian eunuch was saved, and uh, he come, they come to a certain water, and uh, he says to Philip, what, see here is water. What doth hinder me uh, to be, uh, from being baptized? And he said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. No one should ever get baptized until they're saved. But everybody that gets saved ought to be baptized. Amen. That's what I believe. I believe that's uh, uh, one of the first steps. I believe that's the, after getting saved, I believe that's the next thing to do. Is to get baptized, and uh, so we. Uh, what are we to do after we get saved? We're to be baptized. Second of all, we're to become a member of a local church. Now I believe in the local church. I believe God founded the local church, Amen. and uh, and I, I believe in it. In First Corinthians twelve thirteen, for by one Spirit are all baptized uh, into uh, one body, and so. We become, when God saves us, we become a member of His body, of the the one body of Christ, of the true church, if you please tonight. Becoming a member of this church will not guarantee you a home in heaven. You have to be a member of the body of Christ, of His church. The Spirit of God places us into that body. The baptismal waters never can do that. Now, their church is right here in the county. Uh, They they believe it does. They believe that the baptistry, you know, puts you in the body of Christ. That baptism saves you. But I do not believe that, and I don't preach that. Uh, I do not believe it saves you. But as the Spirit of God places us into the body of Christ, so water baptism places us into the local body of believers. And it is an an illustration of the greater baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible said here, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. That is 3,000 of them. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, what did water baptism do? It added 3,000 unto them. It didn't add them unto Christ, it added them to the disciples and they were added to the local church. So I believe that we're to become a member uh, of uh, uh, the local church, and we do that through baptism. Now there are many illustrations uh, in, uh, in the New Testament of local churches. The book of Acts talks about uh, the church uh, at Antioch, and of course you, you uh, open your New Testament and, and uh, you read what the, the book of Romans. There's a book called Romans. Written of the church at Rome. Uh, the book of, uh, two books of uh, Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, written of the church at Corinth. And uh, the church of Galatia, and the church of Ephesus there. And uh, Thessalonica, and uh, Colossae. And uh, you have all those uh, names of books in the Bible, and what they were were names of churches. Local, Bible believing churches. Churches that the apostle Paul was inspired of the Spirit of God to write a letter to, and so uh, throughout the New Testament, course in, the, in Revelation two and three, you have Christ in the midst of the churches. Those were local churches. They certainly have a prophetic meaning, but they were local churches. There was a church at Ephesus, there was a church at Smyrna, and uh, uh, Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia. And Laodicea, there were actual churches, 7 local churches there in Revelation 2 and 3. So I believe in the local church. Now, we're to become a member of a local church, not just any church, a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, Bible-practicing church. Now, I'm not talking about a perfect church. They isn't any such thing, you know. Some people say, well, I'm, I'm looking for a perfect church. One preacher said, if you find it, don't join it, you'll ruin it. <laughs> I never found any perfect. This one's not perfect, and, uh, and uh, there's not any perfect. But uh, we ought to preach the Word of God. I try to do that. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. I make mistakes. But it ought to be a, a church where the Word of God is taught where it's preached, where people believe it, and where they seek to practice it. Not that we're perfect in every respect, but we make an effort to live by what we preach. That's the kind of church to join. And uh, I believe everybody needs to be in that kind of church. Now, when you, when you use that criteria, uh, that, that eliminates a whole lot of churches. Uh, you know, uh, I want, uh, for instance, Uh, I wouldn't join any church that didn't use the King James Version of the Bible. Well, I've already eliminated a whole bunch. And, uh, uh, but uh, uh, it ought to be one that, that stands for the truth of God. After all, this Bible is what brought us to salvation. Now, once a person becomes a member of the church, They ought to support the church. The Bible said, they, that is they that were saved and and were baptized, joined the church, added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That simply means they participated. Sometimes people join the church and they don't participate. Now y'all, when you become a member of the church, you you ought to go. Uh, you know, simply put, uh, you know, people, uh, people join the church and they come in for preaching on Sunday morning. You don't see them to preach in next Sunday morning. Well, the Bible said in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. And if you read the book of Acts, they went to church every day. I don't, you know, I don't ask people to come every day. But a person ought to come three times a week at least. And uh, if a person's going to grow spiritually, they're going to have to be in church more than one time a week, or one time a month, or once in a while. You know, you can't grow spiritually. You take a little baby, a mother has a newborn baby, brings it home from the hospital, feeds it about once a week. She don't have a baby for long. And, uh, uh, we can't grow physically, and some of us growing too much physically. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people say, you know, uh, uh, you know, where'd you get that belly? I didn't get it from shoving away from the table. <laughs> you, get a, you, grow, you grow physically by eating, and you grow spiritually by eating spiritual food. And so when a person becomes a member of the church, they ought to, they ought to be at church. If, they, if they're not working or sick, they ought to be at church. I believe that. And I'm not saying it's wrong to, to go on vacation once every 10 years or something like that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, a, person, a person needs to, to, if they're going to be a part of the church, they need to come. They need to, to it's just like people getting married. You know, when you get married, you give up some freedom. And you don't take a wife and, and go home once a week. <laughs> I know a fellow got married, and, and he, he thought, well, you know, he, he had a habit before he got married uh, that after he got, got off work, he'd go out to the service station and, and uh, you know, have a good time with his buddies. Well, his marriage didn't last long. I mean, he had a wife. And uh, so when we come to Christ and we become a part of His church, then we ought to support the local church by our tenants. That's what the, the early Christians did. And then we ought to support the church with their tithes and offerings. That's God's way. Tithing, how much is a tithe? Tithing's is 10%. You don't have to be too smart to figure that out. The tithe is the tenth. If I make $100, 10 of it belongs to God. Amen. And uh, I was reading a story about a fellow. And uh, uh, he had, I uh, try to remember, had a bunch of kids. Can't remember how many he had. He had a whole bunch, 10 or 12, and maybe more. And uh, been many years ago. And uh, he, w- he wasn't making a whole lot of money. He was, uh, uh, he was uh, involved in, he wasn't a pastor, but he was involved in full-time Christian service. And uh, he, uh, this, this uh, uh, businessman uh, asked him, said, uh, uh, do said, you believe in tithing? He said, I do. He said, do you practice it? He said, I don't. <laughs> he said, why not? He explained. He said, I can't afford it. I've got all these kids. I don't have much money. And uh, it takes everything just to buy the groceries. And he said, I'd like to be able to. He said, let me make you a proposition. He was a businessman. man. He said, "I will, uh, if you will start tithing, if you will start believing God for tithing, you give the tenth to God, and uh, you practice that every month." And said, uh, "If if you have a need, if you have a lack after you paid the tithe, then use what's left. If you have a need, if you'll let me know about it, I'll take care of it." He said. Uh, he said, man, you know, I can't lose. He said, I'll do it. He said, I tried it for a year. See, no, I never did ask that fellow <laughs> for any money. Amen. He said, God brought in money from here, and God brought this in, God brought some in from over here. And, and uh, uh, he, he ends this testimony, and uh, he said, you know, uh, the tragedy of it is, that I was more willing to trust that businessman than I was God. Think about it. I was willing to take that step of faith because I knew I couldn't lose. He's going to take care of me. But I had more faith in the man than I had in God. God taught me some wonderful lessons early in my, in my uh, ministry regarding this. And God's never fail me yet Amen. isn't that wonderful <laughs> around 30 years in the ministry and God's never failed me yet Amen. Uh, when I first started preaching uh, I did, you know I, I, what I believed I'd, I'd uh, heard stories and the preachers all they preach for is money and I said they'll never say that about me because I'll work, I'll never take an offering, I'll never take anything, I'll work a full-time job and, and, uh, and I'll pastor. Of course, I didn't realize then that pastoring's a full-time job. But uh, uh, anyway, we visited these folks and they had a need and God moved on my heart to, uh, uh, to give them an offering. I gave them an offering. I went that Sunday, I was a young preacher, just starting preacher, preaching, and the preacher Uh, had asked me if I'd preach for him, which I did. They took an offering, which I didn't want them to do. But they took an offering, and you know how much I got? To the very penny what I'd given those folks. God taught me a lesson. He'd take care of you. Trust Him. You can depend upon Him. And uh, I know when I first started practicing, I course, I, did, I didn't know anything about tithing. I was saved, but uh, you know, when the offering plate was passed, everybody put a dollar in it. Some people did, not everybody, and, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I know the pastor in Catawba County, he, he said, uh, he said, try it for a month or three months, something like that. I challenge anybody to try it and prove God. If God don't do what He promised to do, we'll refund your money. I thought, yeah, can't lose. <laughs> I'm kind of like the other fella. I'll try that. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I get my money back, but it don't work. <laughs> well, I've never asked for a refund. Amen. And God has proven Himself over and over. Supported by tenants. Supported by tithes and offerings. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, gives a wonderful promise here. Proverbs 3 Verse 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God said, I'll, you take care of me, I take care of you. Honor the Lord with the first fruits. A lot of people have questions. What should I tithe? Should I tithe off of the net or off of the gross? The Bible is clear on that. You tithe off of the gross. The firstfruits. You know, God had a law in the Old Testament. He said, uh, you bring the first fruits. You know, the, there's nothing like that first mess of beans. Yeah. It's, I mean, this tastes better than any of the rest. That first mess of Roshaners. How many knows what Roshaners are? <laughs> Some of you, all you mountain hoogers, you know what Roshaners are. <laughs> and uh, I mean, there's nothing like that first meal. You know what God said? He said, you bring that to me. That first fruits is mine, the best. And sometimes we uh, we don't give God the best, do. And so the Lord promises. He said, Thy barns will be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God said, You put me first, you take care of me, I'll take care of you. You believe that? Sure. I mean, all of us have got a thousand times more than we really have to have. We could get along a lot with a whole lot less. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty five, the liberal soul should be made fat. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. And there are many, many other verses in the Bible that give us uh, some uh, uh, some wonderful uh, promises. And then thirdly, what should we do? We ought to be a Bible and a prayer warrior. I want to say tonight, young people, and to everybody here tonight, you will never succeed in the Christian life and neglect Bible, uh, Bible study and prayer. It is impossible to succeed. I mean, there is no substitute. And the reason, the main reason we're not having the move of God like we could have is directly related to a lack of prayer and a lack of time spent in the Word of God. I can tell a definite difference in my life in relation, in proportion to how much time I spend with God in prayer and Bible study. I can see the difference in my life personally. And I mean there's absolutely no substitute and when people get saved, I usually tell them to read the book of 1 John. It has five chapters. That nails down the assurance of salvation. How can I know I'm saved? 1 John tells us that for sure. Then read the New Testament through. And then after they read the New Testament through, read the Old Testament through. If a person read about three four chapters a day, they can read the Bible through in a year. And I would challenge anybody that has not read the Bible through to Read it through at least one time, and it certainly is a good practice to do it every year if you can. But uh, be a Bible and a prayer warrior. The Bible said in, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2 As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know how a baby grows? A baby grows by eating. You can't grow without eating, you can't grow spiritually and neglect the Word of God. That's the reason a person should be in Sunday school. They should be in preaching. They should be here Sunday night and Wednesday night. Anytime the Word of God's given out, a person should be here. If they're physically able to be here, a person should come. Uh, and, uh, you know, why, why, why do you think the Lord set the church up? You ever thought about it? Why did God do it the way he did it? Do you realize how as small as their congregation is, how hard it would be for me to visit everybody every week and spend two or three hours with you? You have to be much of a mathematician to figure out that's impossible. And we'd study the word of God together. And I used to pastor 500 members. That's even harder. So God set the church up so that everybody comes together as a group and we all say the word of God at one time. And that's, I believe, one of the main reasons God established it like he did. Why do we come to church? So we can find out what God has to say to us in this book. And you cannot get along without it. But let me say this if you come to church every time we have service and you hear the Word of God, that's not going to be enough. You need to spend time in the Word of God yourself and uh, the other times when we're not having church. The Bible said in Psalm 1-2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, in his law doth he meditate day and night. We, we, uh, we take kids to the wilds every year for a competition in our school. And one thing I I really like, we of course require that they're old enough they have to go. And uh, one of the main reasons I do that is because of the spiritual impact it has on the life. One thing they have there is God and I time. And what it does, it teaches them how to have personal devotions. The average church member does not know how to have personal devotions. Not God and us time, it's God and I time. It's time that I spend with God. And I want to say there's no substitute for that uh, is, is that personal, devotional time with God. Because there are things that you and God need to talk about. you can't talk about in the crowd. There are some things. you know why some people have so, some, uh, so, so much problem with their nerves? And some of it, uh, I realize, is related to a physical problem. Uh, but uh, some people have, have unnecessary problems because they've never learned how to have that personal time with God. And uh, a lot of times we don't really trust the Lord. But we need that time, that delight in the law of the Lord, in His law, doth he meditate day and night. Spend time in the Bible, spend time in prayer, and time in fellowship with God. Let me move on. Uh, A fourth thing, Uh, what should I do after I'm saved? What's next? Bring others to Christ. Bring others to Christ. No greater accomplishment. You go through life, you win one other to Christ in your whole lifetime, you will have accomplished more than if you became became the richest man in the earth. They had this program about uh, Bill Gates richest man in the United States 11 billion dollars I can't remember if that was what he made in a year if that's what he's worth but anyway they say he's the richest man and I tell you that fella is a go-getter he works hard and works long and expects everybody else to do the same they said there was a thousand millionaires that worked for him. he gave him stock instead of giving them uh, you know a big salary and they've got about a thousand, they're millionaires. You say, man, I'd like to have got a job like that. But I want to tell you something greater. If you could have won one other to Christ, keep one person out of hell, you would have accomplished more than he's accomplished. Bring others to Christ. In John chapter 1, Andrew brings Peter to Christ. Philip brings Nathaniel to Christ. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman said, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And you find that in the Word of God that, uh, uh, that uh, they brought others to Christ. I was reading, a felt by the name of Lynn Tomp- Tompkins some, many years ago about, uh, about 10, 10 o'clock one night. He realized he hadn't won anyone to Christ that day. Think of that. And he'd made, a, he'd made a determination that every day he'd win someone to Christ. Every day. Think of that. We go weeks and we don't, don't trouble us. And about 10 o'clock that night, he realized he hadn't won anybody that day to Christ. And so he went out and, and went. The uh, business was closed and he found this place open. And there were people standing in line. And he walked up and down the line and he, he met this fellow, a long haired fellow. And uh, he began to talk to him uh, about the Lord, and uh, and he found out found out the man was unsaved. Witnessed to him, showed him how to be saved. To go down his knees there in the line in the star and receive the Lord. <laughs> Bring others to Christ. Everybody, all be involved. And if we don't ever win anybody, we ought to be trying. We ought to be working at it. There's people you can win that probably no one else can win. And I constantly try to challenge the young people. There's opportunities that you will have as a young person that you will not have when you become an adult. There are opportunities to win people your own age and friends that you know personally, and they won't listen to an adult, but they might listen to you. And take advantage of that time. Bring others to Christ. They're going to go to hell unless they get saved. You need to bring them to Christ and get them saved. Bring others to Christ. And then be submissive to the will of God. Find the will of God. Determine the will of God for your life and do it. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, the scripture that changed my life. I said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I was saved when I was 10 years of age, but I never knew the will of God till I was nearly 20. I could have known, I believe that, If I'd done what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, if anyone ever told me and explained that to me, I don't remember it. Someone may have, maybe I wasn't listening. So I'm not trying to condemn or criticize anybody except my own heart, my own self. But I believe I could have known the will of God sooner than I knew it. The Scott there, how old was you when you surrendered to preach? Fourteen, think of that. Fourteen. Don't tell me you can't know the will of God when you're young. Sure you can. But you can't know it, you can't prove it unless you're surrendered. That means the Lord takes over. God has saved you, and he's number one in your life. He becomes number one. He runs your life. And when you come to that point that you're willing to present your body to him, and say, Lord, I belong to you, I give it all to you, when you make that all-important decision, I'll tell you, God will take charge of your life and God will show you his will and God will give you a wonderful life. Here I am, 30 years later. A little over 30 years later now. I look back on that decision and I say, Thank God the only regret I have is I didn't make it sooner. That's my only regret i mean you start facing the sunset of your life you realize you're going to meet god and you're going to give an account of the deeds done in the body you're going to meet god and stand before him and this reality begins to dawn on you i want to tell you you may be young tonight and you may not think a lot about it but one of these days when it's all said and done you'll thank god that you live for jesus that you surrendered to him you made him number one in your life and you stayed with God and served God and lived for God. That's what life is all about. Talk to some people that's taken the other road. People that's lived in sin and drunkenness and wasted their life. Even people that's gotten saved when they were a 50-year-old. Talk to them and ask them if they're happy with their life. I haven't found anybody that I'm glad I, I lived a drunkard's life. I'm glad I lived uh, a criminal's life. I'm glad I lived a heartless life. I've never found anyone as proud of that. Even those that get saved later. A lot of them don't ever get saved. But those that do get saved, they say, I would to God. I'd have got saved when I was a young man or a young girl. And I'd live my life for Jesus. And I'd live those many days and years for God. That's what I wish. And thank God for these young ones Nathaniel here, his youngest one, will be baptizing tonight that has his whole life before him and say, by God's grace, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do right. I'm going to serve him. If the, whole world, if the whole world goes wrong, I'm not going wrong. I'm going to do right. I'm going I'm to please God and live for Jesus. And that's what I encourage these young people to do when they come to the end of the journey. And we're all headed that way, aren't we? Unless the Lord gets us out of here, and I believe he's going to do that soon. But uh, determine the will of God and live your life in the will of God. Those are some basic things that you need to do after you're saved. God commands them. And if we know to do good and don't do it, it's a sin. let our heads, please.